pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And again, we will continue to update you on what is happening right now in Kansas City. Uh, news outlets reporting that there's upwards of 10 victims in a shooting that took place after the end of the rally in Union Station in Kansas City. And there are two armed suspects in custody. Mm-hmm. More on this as the show and as the story develops here on 1620 The Zone. And on that awkward transition, we'll try to lighten things up a little bit and talk more about uh, college football with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, who joins us on the 42 Degrees the Source hotline. Tom, good afternoon. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good. Not bad. Yesterday, the uh, one of the big stories... Among what seems like every day, there's different things coming out, whether it's a conference commissioner saying something or a judge saying something or an attorney saying something, was that ESPN apparently is re-upping with the college football playoff. It's a six-year deal, but technically it's a contract for an event that doesn't really exist yet. I mean, there's an agreement that they're going to do it, but once this current contract expires in two years – they haven't agreed on anything beyond that, so ESPN basically has signed on for an event that technically does not exist. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the timing of it was kind of funny to me because, yeah, like you're saying, we, we don't know what the format of this thing is going to be. We know it's going to be 12 teams, and we know what it's going to look like for the next two years, the, you know, the six-by-six, six, six conference champions, six at large, that was the original model before, you know, the Pac-12 fell off the face of the earth. But, yeah, it's interesting. It was both surprising in that we have the deal, even though we don't know the format yet. And it's also surprising in that, you know, it's less money than I thought it was going to be. Like, if you looked at reports for everything when they announced the expansion of the playoff, like there was, you know, it could get upwards of $2 billion in television rights deals. And you just did not see that coming to the forefront in any of the reporting about it over the last few months, nor did you really get a great, like you, there were rumors that other networks were interested, but I don't know how interested they were at the price point. And I feel like ESPN maybe just thought, you know, it was bidding against itself and said, well, wait a minute, we we don't need to spend that much money on it because there really wasn't that much interest in what is now these additional games because, a lot of people look at these first-round games, especially for the first two years, and they don't know how much a game between a 5 and a 12 seed is going to be worth as far as you know television ratings. Obviously, it's a college football game, and it will get view, you know, plenty of viewers because on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights during the regular season, millions of people are turning into MAC games. So obviously, a playoff game will get the viewers. It's just the worth that it has to the networks might not be as high as it was anticipated. So... Yeah, there were a whole lot of surprises about this coming out yesterday. Tom, we are now about a month, a little over a month removed from the national championship game, and a lot has happened in the uh, in the college football world since then. If you push Saban off to the side, what has been the biggest story in your eyes that we have seen in the sport over the last month and change? <laughs> oh, man. Um, just, yeah, we'll just push the Nick Saban. Yeah, because he's the obvious answer, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
it, I, honestly, it is to me, it is the uh, just stuff like Chip Kelly leaving to become the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, or Jeff Halfley leaving Boston College to become an offensive or defensive coordinator with the Green Bay Packers. There is a weird shift in what we're seeing in that it seems like coach, you know, you look at the current landscape of the sport and obviously we are in a very strange time in that a lot of forces are kind of coming together at once and nobody really knows what to do with them, whether that's NIL or the transfer portal or the conference realignment where we're now pretty much heading to what looks to be two quote unquote super leagues and everybody else. And now the big 10 and the sec are kind of, you know, announcing, Oh, we can't call it the Alliance, but they're announcing some sort of partnership where they're working together to try to figure out the future of the sport. And there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And we don't know what this sport's going to look like in two years in three years, what the rules are going to be, what teams are capable of doing. And I think you talk to coaches and you get the sense now to be clear, College football coaches, ever since I've started working in this industry, are always complaining about something. <laughs> they're no different. They're no different than any of us. We all have jobs. They're all parts of our jobs that we don't like, and we we moan about and we complain about to our coworkers and friends. But there's a difference this time in that what coaches have to deal with. Like by and large, it's like it's usually some of them didn't like this. Some of them didn't like this other aspect of the job. Pretty much 100% of coaches right now are not happy with the current situation in that they feel like they're more, they have to spend more time managing their roster and managing their boosters than they actually get to spend coaching football because of the NIL rules, because of the transfer portal, because players are freely able to move at will whenever they desire. And I think that while if you look at a Jeff Halfley situation, you can argue. Going into next year, if he didn't win enough games, he was going to be fired. He was resetting his clock. That is 100% the impetus for what he did. But you're kidding yourself if you don't think that everything else that goes into the job played a role in it because he could have left for another college job. He wanted to go to the NFL. Chip Kelly was interviewing for the Seahawks offensive coordinator job, didn't get it, and then he still he loved his time at UCLA so much even after not getting that job. He decides, eh, I'll go become an offensive coordinator at Ohio State. So he's literally staying within the same conference but taking a demotion and a pay cut to do so because he just wants to come up with plays and call plays. He doesn't want to spend any of the time doing all the other stuff that a head coach has to do these days. You look at now, talked about Nick Saban, Ryan Grubb comes with hmm. Kalen DeBoer from Washington to Tuscaloosa to be the offensive coordinator. Second that Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator job comes open, He's jumping ship. Jim Harbaugh obviously left Michigan for the NFL, but that's a completely different thing because Jim Harbaugh's always been an NFL coach who was taking a dalliance at the college level for a while. But right now, when you look at the landscape of college football coaches, anyone who can get an NFL gig is jumping at the chance to take that NFL gig because they are not happy with what they're being asked to do and what their responsibilities are at the college level. Now, obviously, some college coaches are making $10, $12 million a year. They're not getting offered that at the NFL, so they're not going to make that jump. But anybody who isn't at that level who gets the chance is going without thinking twice. And I think that is something that it's another one of the reasons why, where I think that whatever the future of college football is going to be, they need to figure it out quickly because coaches need to know what their jobs are and what's expected of them and what it's going to be. And right now, in all this time of uncertainty, a lot of good coaches that are making college football a better sport 
are leaving for the NFL, and I think it's to the detriment of college football. Tom, it would seem that the biggest frustration, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is the ability for players to, you know, just continually leave year after year after year and that, you know, it's it's free agency but without the contracts, if you will. If I'm right on that, what what is the fix for that moving forward? Well, I, I think we're barreling towards players being employees. And there was, you know, the, the Dartmouth case, which when it comes to the laws, Fellas, I'm, I'm completely lost. I don't know what any like employment law or any of this stuff. I have no idea what how this is going to happen. But I don't see a scenario in which the end result isn't that players are employees and that college football programs technically break off from the universities and you know whether they license them to the school or the schools license the names to the to the football teams and all that kind of stuff. That is where we're going to go, and you're going to see players. You know, when they sign that national letter of intent or whatever the heck they're signing these days, it's no longer going to be an NLI. It's going to be a contract. You are here for however many years. If you want to leave, you can, but you break, you know, like there could be penalties for breaking the contract. They are going to be employees. They are going to be unionized. It is not going to be that different from what we're seeing at the professional level. The only difference will be. I don't know how you can get one giant union for, you know, 130 some odd schools. Like if you look at professional sports, there's only 30 teams. There's a limit on how many players there can be. So it's easier to have a union where it's what it's going to look like at the college level, whether the unions are going to be based on conference or what they're going to be based on. I have no idea. I, somebody much smarter than me will figure that out at some point. I'm sure. But I think that no matter what the situation is at the end of the day, like I said, these guys are going to be employees. They're going to be treated like employees. They're going to be treated no differently than the coaches. You have your contract. You either honor it or you pay to get out of it. Tom Fernelli, CBSSports.com. We were talking about this late last week, and I, I wondered aloud if if there are some athletes that would not want to unionize because right now – they have the best of the situation in that the money is unlimited. There's no caps. There's no salary caps. There's no contracts, as you mentioned. Um, and there's no restrictions on if I want to transfer, I can transfer and I can start playing immediately the next season at my next school. And 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 there might be a dispute within the athletes themselves, which is odd because a lot of the student, a lot of the athletes are currently in junior high and high school right now. So the stuff that we're talking about, their future, is representing a group of kids that, you know, right now are you know just <laughs> learning algebra. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I almost wonder if there, it, how that unionization is actually going to happen because I sense there might be some, you know, high-rated five-star players going, no, man, I got a great, I got a great situation here. I don't know. It, I, I think my guess, and this is just a pure guess, is yeah. that the conferences will be the ones that are kind of really implementing the quote-unquote unions. And I don't know, maybe it won't actually be a traditional union as much as it'll be some sort of collective to where, you know, you go to work for this company and you agree to work for it or whatever the whatever the legalese and the right-arounds and the bubbles and the loopholes will be to get through it. I, I just, it's going to be a very odd situation because you're right, like, Right now, the kids that are probably going to be impacted by this, by the time this becomes normal, are probably 11 or 12 years old. These are the kids that we're talking about that will be yeah. stepping into this situation. But, yeah, there there will be disagreements, and there will be players who 
get screwed by it because there are going to be some guys who are going to get capped by what they can earn. But you know what that's just going to lead to? We're going to go right back to where we started, where a kid's going to, you know, you're only allowed to make, let's just say, $1.5 million a year. That is the maximum salary for a college football player. Well, there's still going to be bagmen paying you outside of that, and then that's what we're going to see. That's what the new NCAA penalties will be. It'll be, you know, breaking salary cap rules for players with illegal payments from outside boosters. So in a strange way, my guess is we all end up right where we started. Tom, looking on the field, I've been thinking a lot about Ohio State recently with all of the additions that they have had, whether it's with the players themselves or certainly with the coaching staff. Obviously, we began this conversation talking about Chip Kelly becoming their offensive coordinator. Can you think of a team in recent vintage that will enter a year with like this kind of pressure? Because it's like a different pressure than certainly, you know, like a Jimbo Fisher where it felt like, all right, this is the year you got to make. Hey, you're going to get fired. I don't think that day is going to get fired yet. It does seem like a national championship or bus type season for the Buckeyes. Oh, see, that's where we disagree. I, I think if Ohio State loses to Michigan again, especially now that Jim Harbaugh's left, or if they don't win the Big Ten, I do think Ryan Day will get fired. I, I think that there are already people that kind of, you know, there's a new athletic director in charge. Ross Bjork just came from, you know, Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. He had been at Ole Miss. And I do think that, you know, if they lose again, and I think that's part of the, the I don't want to use desperation because it sounds, it's not what I truly mean, but they are, like they're going all in. They have pushed all their chips in the middle of the table. They have been motivated by what Michigan has done and by the fact that they have not been able to get past the Wolverines in recent years to say, okay, if this is what we have to do, this is what we're going to do. But I think with a new athletic director in charge, with a new Big Ten, a new format coming to the college football playoff, it is very, very – if you look at it from an outside perspective and try to use logic, which I never advise yeah. to figure out college football, it is the dumbest idea ever that a guy with Ryan Day's record could be on the hot seat, but he very much is. That's how important it is to beat Michigan if you are at Ohio State. For Ohio State fans, there are already a bunch of Ohio State fans who want Day fired now. So if they go into next year and they fail to accomplish these goals again, I think he's gone. But as for the approach, yes, this is it is this is the most all-in I can think of as far as what we have seen in this new era with NIL and Transfer Portal. This is the best example of what is you're capable of if you have the funds and the ability and the want to do it because they have done a tremendous job, you know, getting Will Howard, but then you bring in Caleb Downs, you bring in all these other studs, Quinshawn Judkins to help offset the running back to take some of the load off Trevion Henderson's plate, who, as good as he is, has been banged up plenty of times the last couple of years. So you can lighten his load. Judkins has been a huge workhorse at Ole Miss. He gets a chance to lighten his load and also showcase his ability on a very good offense. And then, yes, you bring in Chip Kelly, who is one of the most innovative offensive minds in the sport of football. This is like if Ohio State does not win the Big Ten next year, it will be a colossal failure because when you put all that and then combine it with the changes that Michigan is undergoing with Jim Harbaugh leaving and taking a huge portion of that coaching staff with him to the NFL, whether to the Chargers or like guys like Mike McDonald taking the Seahawks job, like the, the conference, even with Oregon, USC, Washington, and UCLA coming in, is set up for Ohio State to win it. And if they don't, going to look a lot different in Ohio State next season. Tom Fornelli of CBSSports.com is joining us. We're going to have a conversation a little bit later on in the show because the UCLA job um, being what it is, 
and they're moving into the Big Ten Conference. It's a huge transition for them. And you think about that market, and you think about what they already compete against, and now they're leaving for another league. There's been opinions in the past that there's no such thing as a bad Big Ten job because the Big Ten is one of the is if it is the richest conference, and you know you'd rather be in the club than not in the club. But could an argument be made, as Paul Feinbaum has done, that UCLA is a dead end job? I think history, like there's, there's certainly, if you look at what's happened there with their last two head coaching hires, it's kind of hard to argue against it because it's been a while since UCLA has had a coach go there and improve their reputation. It is not the easiest place to win, but part of that, and I think what UCLA fans are kind of really hoping for changes, or at least the UCLA fans who care about the football program, is there really hasn't been leadership within that school as far as like at the presidential level or the chancellor level that cares about football. And the current president of the university is set to retire, and they're hoping that the person that they bring in understands, I mean, your school is now playing in the Big Ten. If that doesn't wake you up to how important football is as far as revenue and bringing money into your university, a university, by the way, that is operating at a deficit and has quite a, you know, has has had some financial issues in recent years. So the hope, if you're a UCLA fan, is the approach to football changes. Will it? I don't know. Because, like, the L.A. market, you could talk about the size of it, and it is, you know, the second largest market in the United States, but... It is not a huge sports market. Like, the Lakers have fans because, you know, they've had a ton of success. When USC was successful, they had plenty of fans because the thing about Los Angeles is you have to be cool, and you can't be cool if you aren't winning. So when you look at UCLA, yes, it has history, but it's not the easiest place to win because you're competing with USC as far as being in the Los Angeles market, and USC is the quote-unquote cooler brand with a lot of high school kids, and they've also had more success. But it's also, you know, the Rose Bowl, as great of a venue as it is, as iconic as it is, it's not on campus. It's not just, you know, an easy place to get to. It's hard to draw fans out there. It's... You have to find a coach who's going to be able to come in and win football games and make you cool. And as we have seen, it's been hard for a lot of guys to do that. Like Jim Mora had successful seasons, but they never broke through. Rick Neuheisel had successful seasons, but they never really broke through that ceiling. Can Deshaun Foster get there? History suggests otherwise. So I I kind of agree with, I, I don't know, I think calling it a dead-end job is probably a little too harsh because I'd, I'd love to get a dead-end job that's going to pay me $6 million a year and yeah. fire me with a nice, hefty buyout on it. But, yeah, it is not the job, it's not a job that has proven to be very, you know, lead to a trajectory to a better gig. There haven't been a lot, like, again, he did it by his own accord, but their current head coach left to be an offensive coordinator at another school within their own conference. So, yeah, there's definitely evidence that suggests there's not a lot of upward mobility once you become UCLA head coach. Tom Fernelli, CBSSports.com. Tom, we appreciate the conversation this afternoon. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Tom Fernelli on the 42 Degrees, the source hotline. We'll have that conversation um, in a little bit here on the Big Ten and coaching jobs. A couple of the things we didn't get a chance to get to with Tom that there is talk now of college football adding the two-minute warning why is that bad 
I'm not saying it's bad. I don't really have a strong opinion either way, but let's be real. The only reason they're adding it. Oh, it's commercials. Yeah, commercials. of course. Yeah, of course. Which makes sense. Because they lost, they lost out on, I mean, I guess it's not like there was commercials after every first down, but the games have gotten shorter, so now they got to make them a little bit longer. Well, again. yeah, the games have gotten shorter, but that didn't shorten the number of commercial breaks. You know, they I think just, if you're going to do that, might as well just punt on having the clock stoppage in the last two minutes anyway. And just, well, yeah, if you want to do full NFL timing rules, then fine. Do I, I don't have fit, any issue Which I don't have a fine. If they, they want to do an NFL rule that I want to see in college, it's a player who goes down without getting touched should be able to get back up. I think that that is a rule that they should absolutely incorporate into the college game. I hate yeah. that, that you're not allowed to do that in the sport. Uh, yeah, I don't have a strong take on this either way, but I also know what the motivation. Of course, is. yeah, it's money. Um, it's a, it's a free it's a free way to to get a little bit more money. Did you know why? And by the way, the two minute warning is about as close as the NFL gets to an, an unnecessary gimmick rule as the NBA's advance the ball. Yeah, but it's been around forever, so we don't even think about it. You know why the two-minute warning exists in the first place? It was, I, I know I've it, read it. It does about not it. have to do with commercials. It was something for the old stadiums or something. So, according to the Athletic, the NFL introduced the two-minute warning in 1942. It was introduced simply because officials were the ones that kept the time, so they kept the time on the field. Most stadiums didn't have scoreboard clocks, or if they did. They weren't the official time. So it was a way to get everything locked into... So the stoppage let everyone know what the clock situation was. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of a way to say, all right, we got two minutes left in the game. The official timer on the field, us, are telling you there's two minutes left. So they would stop the game at that point. Yeah. And just let everyone know, all right, there's two minutes left. So it had nothing to do with media. It had nothing to do with commercials. And that's why it exists. And, of course... It's been there ever since. Hmm. And it exists now. I mean, it's an extra media timeout, which is funny because not everyone uses it as a commercial break. NBC and Amazon. They use it as kind of a. They use it as a chance to promote something, but they stay at the stadium Amazon does they hey here's what's coming up this weekend and they show I like all that the little different thing, games the little piano music that they play and then um, here's what's NBC, coming up on Sunday NBC will we use it to either promote the game next week or something like that but they won't so it's interesting I've noticed that some networks it depends on the week sometimes NBC does go to commercial other times yeah. they don't so maybe it's when they have extra inventory that they have to sell by the way will you finally acknowledge Josh you were right about Ryan Day and and what pressure is on him moving forward nope. okay interesting. Nope. Tom Fornelli, a very handsome individual who does have a beard, says... That oh, there's no doubt that, oh, that that if Ohio State doesn't do something this year that the fire will be turned up. I don't know if it'll go to the point where they fire him, mm-hmm. but the fire will definitely be turned up. Here's my question. It'd be a tough though. loss if they lost to Michigan again. Here's the, here's the question for the greater good. Okay. Ohio State has replenished their supply. They've retained a lot of dudes from last year. Ton, tons of players. I mean, they have done a great job of maintaining and building their roster. Yeah, they don't have their quarterback back, which they're fine with, and obviously they lost Marvin Harrison. Well, they're fine, but my question is, with all that talent back, do you trust Will Howard to be the guy no. to lead them back He's good. To the he is good, but he ain't, he ain't C.J. Stroud. Like, that's kind of the bar, right? He ain't Justin Fields. I know. You know, he's not even Dwayne Haskins. He's good, but he I ain't know. that. That's... 
That's the one thing I would have. You know, Tough luck, Ohio State. Yikes. He, he could be the Brock. He's no J.J. McCarthy. He could be the Brock Purdy of Ooh. the college football season. Oh, I can't wait for the takes all year on him. Oh, there'll be takes. Mm-hmm. This much I will give you. There will be many takes. On Will Howard? On Ohio State. Oh, yeah. Many takes on Ohio State. There's a, an email I want to read that we I didn't want to read it now because it would take too long to get into the topic. But from John, and I've heard this from a lot of listeners whenever the idea of players becoming employees comes up. And I, I it's not that I want to poke holes in it, but I kind of have a question off of it that I would like to get to. Uh no further updates. Nothing uh, other than I did see one still photograph of one of the possible suspects. It was someone who was definitely being detained, but I can't confirm by the picture alone that it's one of the people that was involved in the shooting, but it looked like a middle-aged, heavier-set man wearing an all-red jumpsuit, but it had no had no uh, chief's insignias okay. on it. It was just a head-to-toe red jump, kind of a sweatshirt, sweatpants type situation. Okay. But there are two people in custody. There are upwards of 10 victims being reported, uh, and at least five who have been hospitalized. That's the only thing confirmed so far. The only thing I've seen from any, like, official Chiefs side, I saw Patrick Mahomes tweet, uh, prayers up tweet. Uh, I've not seen anything from the official Chiefs account. The the actual celebration, the speeches, all of that stuff had already ended. Mm-hmm. And judging by what I've been able to glean, it looked like, you know, everything had, most of the participants had left the staging area when this took place. But that's only what I could glean so far. I don't know anything, you know, definitive if any of the... Uh, any of the chiefs or any of the notables up on the stage were close by when this took place or how long after it was when it took place. But yeah. um, obviously a very scary situation. We'll continue to update throughout the show today on 1620 The Zone. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.